Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. How did your homework go? Did anybody do any homework? I don't, don't tell me. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be distracted by your lack of homework um, completion. But I hope you read the book of Ruth this week. If not, guess what? There's another week coming. You can read Ruth this week. You can read it many times this week. I hope you read the book of Ruth at least once. It doesn't take very long. I hope that you read the book of Ruth often. It's a really rich um, narrative. There's so much in it. I'm excited that we're going to be able to continue week by week in this series to kind of unpack everything that's in the book of Ruth because it's really rich. Uh, Ruth is a story of victory coming out of pain. It's blessing overtaking loss. It's a story of, of God showing what he will do with someone who is willing to trust him even when there is not a certainty about the future. And I left you last week with just this thought that in loss, we have one of two choices. We can press in, we can lean into God, or we can pull back. And the tendency, the temptation for us is in loss, the temptation is to pull back, to cope in some other way, to deal with what we've gone through in some other way. And we want to be like Ruth, as we're going to see as we go through chapters 2, 3, and 4, we want to be those that press into God rather than pull back from him. So... Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would help us to understand your word. Just like Jesus, you helped your disciples. Holy Spirit, help us to understand and grasp the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First five verses of chapter one are all of the loss. All of the loss that takes place in the book of Ruth takes place in verses one through five. You've got Naomi leaving Israel to move to Moab because there's a famine. You've got Naomi losing her husband, a man named Elimelech, because um, he dies early in the story. He's not really a factor in the story. She has two sons, Malon and Kilion. Both of them marry Moabite women. And then about 10 years later, they both die. So at the end of verse 5, you've got Naomi, a widow, with two daughters-in-laws who, daughters-in-law, who are both widows also. Super exciting and fun way to start a book. When you get to verse 6, what we learn is is that the the famine that had been in Israel has now ceased. And so Naomi hears of it, and she wants to go back to her homeland. She wants to go back to Israel. And so the Moabites, the the Moabite land where they are living is is where uh, where Naomi, I can't talk this morning. Would you all pray for me? It was where Naomi wants her girls to stay. She wants... Orpah and Ruth to stay in Moab. As a matter of fact, when you read through the, the chapter one of the book of Ruth, four different times in the first chapter, Naomi says to Ruth or Ruth and Orpah, you need to stay here. You need to stay here. She says, you need to stay in Moab. You need to go back to your mom's house. You need to go back to your people. You need to find yourself a new husband. You need to start a new life because I am going back. I'm going 70 miles to the west, back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. Pick up the narrative with me in verse 12. Naomi's saying this, Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, 
For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Again, Naomi wants these girls to stay. She wants them to start a new life. She says, go back to your mother's house. She, she even puts the, the uh, kind of like makes the fine point and says, look, even if I was to get, I don't have a husband, but if I had a husband and I got pregnant right now, would you wait until the sons were grown and then marry them so that you could have children of your own? Of course not. Go back to your mothers. Go back to your families. Go back to what you know here. She sincerely wants them to remain. And then she says, it's bitter for me. This thing that has happened, it's been as if God's hand is against me. At the end of chapter 1 in verses 20 and 21, she says the same kind of thing. She goes back to Israel and the people are saying, oh, there's Naomi. Remember her? And I, I, I think that Naomi's a little bit of a um, kind of a drama queen because she says, no, no, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Now, we, Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. She's saying, my life has been so awful since I left. I lost my husband. I lost my sons. Don't even call me by my name anymore. God has stretched out his hand against me. And that idea, that concept is very common in this time period that people would see every negative event that had taken place as God kind of being against them, some God allowing this to happen, taking place because of his desire to, to punish them or in some other way to bring them into a bad place. And we, thankfully, are on the other side of the full canon of scripture. We have the Holy Spirit. We understand that when bad things happen, they don't just happen because God is wanting to get us. But that's the way that Naomi saw it. She saw it as the, the, everything bad has happened to me because God is not happy with me. My life is because bitter. We shouldn't build a theology out of Naomi's words here because that's not necessarily accurate, although she was very sincere. She was very sincere. And so Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and she goes back to, the, to her family in Moab, but Naomi, I'm sorry, but Ruth clings to Naomi. Look in verse 15. It says this, and she said, see your sister-in-law, she's going back to her people, to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. That was the fourth time she said it to Ruth. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Orpah's gone back. Naomi's encouraging Ruth, why don't you go back for the fourth time? And Ruth, Ruth is stubborn. Ruth digs her heels in right here and basically says, stop telling me to stop following you because I'm not going to listen to you. Now, some of you have that personality. Would you point to the person in this room that you know that has this? Per no, just kidding. You know that, that, that just, I am not going to be told what to do. And, and Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth, when she finally gets it inside of her, like, I'm not doing this, she pushes back and Naomi finally backs off. And then you get this beautiful part of the passage where it almost feels like poetry, like you're reading in the Psalms. You know, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, where you lodge, that's where I'm going to lodge. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May God do so even more to me if I, if I let anything but death separate me from you. It's, it's, it's something that when you look at the, the, the full teaching of the Scripture, when you look at all of Scripture, you know what that reminds me of? The only thing that I can compare that level of devotion to is when someone finds Christ, 
And they're just like, my old life is gone. My new life has come. When you think about Paul in Philippians chapter three, where he says, you know, I, I forget what is past and I strain for what's ahead. It's that same kind of letting it all go and letting it all die so that I can have this other thing, this better thing, Christ in Paul's case. In this case, Ruth saying, I'm letting all of that go. I will not be away from you, Naomi. I will follow you no matter what. Of course, with this kind of stubbornness in play, now Naomi relents and she says, basically, fine, you can come with me, whatever. And they start to head back over to Israel from Moab. Before we look at Ruth, though, I want to just draw attention to this. I didn't, I'm not good enough at planning to have planned this on purpose. But on Mother's Day, let me say a word about mothers-in-law. Mothers-in-law get a pretty bad reputation, don't they? Is it just me? Are you awake? Has anybody ever heard a mother-in-law joke before? Okay, that's better. Now, I mean, it's not good that we're making fun of them, but they, they, are, they get a really bad rap, and the reality is this mother-in-law is an amazing woman of God. There are three main characters in this story, Ruth, Naomi, and her future husband, Boaz. But Naomi, I, I think, doesn't get enough attention because think of this. If, if Naomi is not Naomi before Ruth, then Ruth's story never unfolds. Ruth doesn't go back to Israel if Naomi is not an amazing woman of God. We don't get the Ruth story that we're appreciating and, 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 and able to learn so much from if Naomi is not this incredible lady who has such a spiritual force and influence over Ruth. Write this down if you would. In part, Ruth's actions are a testimony to Naomi's character and her faith. The way that Naomi lives her life shapes and influences Ruth. Because of Naomi's life, Ruth was willing to leave all that was familiar, her homeland, her family, her gods, her, her religion. She goes to a place that she's never lived before. She's going to be a foreigner there. She leaves everything else behind. I believe that Naomi is an incredibly important example to Ruth. It's the reason that Ruth's story unfolds the way that it does, despite the fact that she may be a little bit of a drama queen. Now, looking at Ruth, let's focus on her for a moment. She leaves everything behind. She goes with Naomi. She's, she's experienced something more. She's had some kind of a conversion, I think, in her life because she's not just following Naomi. She's also following Yahweh. She says, your God will be my God. So the gods of Moab, and I'm going to talk about this next week, what, where Moab comes from and what those people were all about is really far away from, from Israel. It's really far away from the Hebrew faith. And there was something about the way that Naomi lived her life that, that Ruth was converted. She began not only to believe that she wanted to stay with her mother-in-law, but also that she wanted to follow her mother-in-law's God. And she became unshakably loyal to both of them. Now, she may have been loyal in part because, as I said last week, uh, if to be a widow in ancient Israel in the time of the judges was akin to being a homeless person. And so Ruth may have thought, I'm going to stick with Naomi because she's not going to have anybody to take care of her. But it's pretty clear as you read the story as it unfolds that it's more than just an obligation, that she moves from being sentimental about her mother-in-law to sharing her mother-in-law's faith. She casts her lot in with Naomi, but she also casts her lot in with God. And becoming a God follower, Ruth becomes incredibly faithful. Would you turn to the person next to you and just say the word faithful? Faithful. One more time, because only a third of you participated in my little game. Do it one more time. One more time. Ready? One, two, three. Faithful. Very good. Faithfulness is the key to this entire book. The whole thing hinges on faithfulness. Faithfulness 
to God and faithfulness to others is what positions us to experience supernatural blessing, supernatural favor, even the miraculous. It's faithfulness. This can't be overstated. It's, it, faithfulness is what positions us for answered prayers. It positions us for divine provision. It provi- per- positions us. I can't talk. Thanks, Joe. I can't talk this morning for even miracles. We understand that the kingdom of God operates on faith. Ephesians chapter 2. We are saved by grace through faith. Genesis. Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Hebrews. Without faith it is impossible to please God. The entire kingdom works on faith. We believe our way into relationship with God. We don't, that's what I was saying this morning about not feeling worthy to praise the Lord. We don't feel our way into being worthy. We are believing our way into being worthy. It is God's goodness. He looks at us in our faith and says, that's my son, period. I'm not earning my way to him. Rather, I'm believing my way to him. But faithfulness is a huge part of it. Our faith is demonstrated by our faithfulness. Write that down if you would. Our faith is demonstrated through our faithfulness. Here's how it works. James says it this way. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. It feels a little bit heretical. It feels a little bit like I'm saying something that's not true. But faithfulness has to be partnered with faith for us to be blessed by God, for us to be provisioned by God, for us to be in a place where, he, where we're positioned for him to pour out his goodness on us. Faithfulness always has to be partnered with faith. That's where Ruth is. She didn't just have faith. She lived out faithfulness. When I'm faithful with my words, when I'm faithful with my thoughts, when I'm faithful with my actions, I make clear what I actually believe inside. Here's the problem. We understand this, and I often want the fruit of faithfulness without being faithful. Here's the thing. Like, I was using Susan as an example in first service because she loves it when I use her as an example. And I said, if I want to have a really good marriage, I have faith that God will give me a very good marriage. Is that a good thing? We're, We're good so far. I have faith, God, would you give me a really good marriage? And the father says, yes, my son, I will give you a great marriage. But then I don't act faithfully towards my wife. Will I indeed have a very good marriage? Can I pray until the cows come home to have a really good marriage and then act faithlessly towards my wife and experience a good marriage? No. Why do we say that about cows? I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Faithfulness always has to be married to faith. I say this. I really would like to have God bless me financially. I would really like to have God take care of my finances so that I would would be abundantly blessed financially. I have faith that God will do that. But if I don't have actions of faithfulness that are attached to that faith, is, is, am I going to experience that financial breakthrough? No. No. You have to have both. It's not really heretical. Faith and faithfulness are married together. That's what you see in Ruth. Ruth ends up believing, oh, I believe in Yahweh. I believe in Naomi's God. I'm going I'm to follow that God. But then she ends up act, acting on what she believes by her faithfulness to cling to Naomi, to walk with Naomi, to go back to Israel with Naomi. Genuine faith is always married to action, to faithfulness, and that's when blessing flows. One more thing. Look back at verse 16 with me. First of all, before you do that, 
turn to the person next to you and, and just ask them, are you alive? Because it feels a little bit like a tomb in here. So if you could just, even a cough every now and then would be great. It's just something to let me know that you're with me. Okay, look at 16 now. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Here's my question. At the moment that Ruth makes this statement, what does she have? Now, we we can read chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. We see all this amazing stuff that's just just over the horizon for her. But when she makes that statement... I'm imagining her grabbing hold of of Naomi's arm, like, stop trying to get me to go home. I'm going with you. And she says this thing. When that's actually taking place, what does Ruth have at that moment? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. None of these blessings, none of these amazing miracles that we see in the rest of the story have taken place yet. She does not have anything. All she's got is her faith and her willingness to be faithful. She has no idea what God is about to do with her or with her mother-in-law. And this is vital. All of these qualities, qualities like faithfulness, kindness, goodness, mercy, justice, all of these qualities, the fruits of the Spirit, all of these always precede rather than follow the blessings of God. If you and I say, well, you know, and people do say this, well, if God will do X for me, then I will follow him. And the kingdom of God is completely reversed from that. We grab hold of faith. We stand in faithfulness. We do what we know to do. We do what's in front of us. We're going to talk about that next week. We do the work that is in front of us until God moves. But the blessing always follows the character quality. It always follows the fruit, not the other way around. You could say it this way if you want to write this down. The seeds of faithfulness are planted before the fruits of blessing are harvested. You have to be faithful on the front end to experience what God wants to give you afterward. That was worthy of amen. Amen. Try that again. Thanks, David. One more time. The seeds of faithfulness are planted before the fruits of blessing are harvested. Oh, you guys got it. Yeah. That's awesome. We'll do that all the time. That's great. Ruth is an amazing lady. She steps out in faith. She acts faithfully without knowing what's ahead. And and the the Lord invites us to do the exact same thing. If you've not seen the blessing yet, if you've not seen the favor yet, if you've not seen the, the, the fruitfulness yet, if you've not seen the miracle yet, then you're exactly where Ruth is right there at the end of chapter one. You're on the front end. It's not a bad place to be. And before you think, if you're thinking this, well, you're, what you're asking me to do, Tim, is to embrace some kind of blind faith. <clears throat> you're asking me, to trust without seeing anything. You're asking me just to step out into nothing. You're asking me to, to, to believe that God will be faithful even though I can't see anything. And I'm not asking you for that. By the way, blind faith is a really foolish concept because it is never blind to trust the one who is loving and kind and good, who holds the whole universe in his hands. It's never blind to say, Lord, I will do things your way, trusting that you will bring the result that you want for my life. That's never a bad idea. It's never blind faith to do that. 
The Lord is calling us as a people to step out before we see what's going to happen. My mom was a single mom. She raised my sister and I from the time we were nine without my dad. And uh, she was a, um, she was, I did the math. When you're a kid, everybody's old. Have you noticed this? Like when you're a child, everybody's old. And the older you get, everybody gets younger. It's very strange. When I was a kid, I thought my mom was old when my parents split up. I did the math. She was 36, not very old. But at the time, I thought, oh, well, her life's almost over, whatever, you know. <laughs> not really, but I mean, I thought, well, she's an ancient person. She wasn't an ancient person at all. But at 36, she, I, she didn't go out and start dating anybody. Not that that's wrong. I kind of wish now that she had found somebody. That would have been really awesome because she never, never remarried. But what she did do was that she figured out that when all of this went down with my parents splitting up, she decided that the thing that, that God had told her, this is what she felt called to do, was to invest in raising her kids. That's what she felt her calling was. And so that's what she did. And I'm bringing her up this morning because she didn't know what life was going to be like either. She was very much Ruth chapter 1. I, my husband's not here anymore. I don't, have, you know, I don't have a support structure. Her family wasn't in the area. Her family was in another state. And she just goes to this little church and says, would someone please help me raise my kids because I want my kids to follow Christ. And she goes in there and she just begins to pour herself into following Jesus. She experienced the fruit of faithfulness because she walked by faith. She didn't know what to do, but she brought her kids and she said, would you, would you, <laughs> she literally, this literally happened. It, it sounds like a joke. It's not. She literally said to people at the church, can you guys help me raise my kids? They don't have a dad. And all these men in that church, I could cry of thinking about these men. Just, they stood up and they stepped in and they helped raise my sister and I. And my mom, my mom it got to be this matriarch, you know, of our family. My sister and I love her still. That's not in every family. My sister and I love each other still. That's not in every family. My sister and I each love our own families. That's not in every family. We've got eight grandkids and four great grandkids. My, my mom does. None of my children have made any grandkids yet. And I'm really praying about that. And that's a problem. We need to address that in prayer. But eventually they'll get going and we'll have grandkids on our side too. Here's, what I, here's the reason I'm saying this to you about my mom. When Ruth stepped out in Ruth chapter 1, she did not know what the future held, but she trusted the new God that she was following, Yahweh, that she, everything was going to be okay because she was leaning into him. She was not going to pull back. My mom, at 36 years old, decided, I'm going to raise my kids not knowing what was going to happen. Here's the thing. The road to faithfulness does not guarantee a particular outcome, but it does guarantee a blessed outcome. If we will lean into him, if we will choose to trust him, if we will walk by faith and in faithfulness, God will take care of the rest. And as we'll see when we get into chapters 2, 3, and 4 of the book of Ruth, as, we, as you'll see with me, God does above and beyond all we can ask or imagine. But it starts with faith and faithfulness. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray together. Father, You are calling your people 
your sons and your daughters. You're calling us, Lord. You're inviting us to trust you. To be a people of faith who act out, who live out the actions of obedience, who live out the actions of faithfulness. And Lord, if we will settle this one in our hearts, if we will set this down in our hearts and say, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to believe on him. I'm going to do the things that he tells me to do. I'm going to walk in obedience. Lord, we can completely and totally trust that you will take care of us, that you will bless us, that you will even do miracles, that we'll walk in supernatural favor. Lord, you don't love Ruth more than you love us, but you are looking in us to see, do we have a heart like hers? To walk by faith and to live out faithfulness. Lord, would you cause us as a people, as a church family, to be those kinds of people? Not having to see the end from the beginning to be able to believe, but seeing from the beginning a God who will take us through the end, and it will be good. It will be good. Father, I pray that for everyone that's here, that's maybe even wrestling right now because they've gone through loss, they've gone through hurt, and everything inside of them wants to pull back. But I pray right now that they would not pull back, that they'd be like Ruth grabbing hold of Naomi and say, I will go with you, except they're saying it to you, Father. I will go with you no matter what. And I ask that you would do this, Lord. I ask that you would comfort them and strengthen them. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you extend your hands in front of you? I want to speak a blessing over you before you go this morning. Grace Church family, friends, folks that are watching online, visitors, may the Lord bind up your broken heart. May he give you freedom from captivity. May he release you from darkness. May he comfort you in mourning. May he give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. I speak that over you. And Grace Church family and friends, may you be called, may we be called, Because we believe, may we be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this episode made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com.